0: Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The spread of Omicron has people scrambling to get tested for COVID, but the lines are long, appointments get scooped up fast, and rapid antigen tests are really, really hard to find. KQED's Raquel Maria Dillon brings us the story of one testing clinic in the East Bay City of Richmond.
2: Alejandra Felix had a cough and a sore throat. So she did the responsible thing and called in sick. Ahora no me a saber
3: primero,
2: Felix cleans si, houses estoy, for a living and I works for herself. Be Before she goes back to work, she wants to be sure it's just a flu. The COVID testing site here at Lifelong Medical Center was fully booked. She called and called.
3: No but
2: couldn't get an appointment. For okay. Felix, a week with no work means losing up to $800 in income. Como hasta money she semana. needs to pay the bills <laughs> but this clinic isn't taking walk-ups anymore tengo Felix left, feeling desperate we have where we can, since the holidays, yeah. the demand for testing here has hurricane hurricane? ballooned and for the any any small staff, hurricane? it's exhausting we get tired and we just gotta step aside, take a breath there are times where we cry a little and then we come back Griselda Ramirez-Escamilla, who runs the urgent care center here, says this surge is taking an emotional toll. You know, it's hard. And we show up every morning. And like I said, we have times where we do break down, but it's just the nature of it. We have to lift our spirits and keep moving. Lifelong Medical serves a specific community, Medicaid patients and essential workers who risk COVID exposure at their jobs. The pandemic is hitting these low-income communities again, This time with Omicron. Lifelong runs three testing sites in the Bay Area. Its clinics are getting about a thousand COVID calls each day. This site can only test 60 people daily and can't scale up. So it's not always about quantity, but if we're reaching those who have no other way to access testing resources, then we are achieving our goal. Dr. Jocelyn Freeman-Garrick is with Alameda County's Public Health Department. With demand up 400% at county testing locations, she says these smaller sites do what larger ones can't, serve these vulnerable neighborhoods. And we found at those smaller sites that the percent positivity rate was much higher than the general population. So the numbers may be small, but that's a pivotal role. So go ahead and pull your mouse down and open your mouth and stick your tongue out. That's 24-year-old Gabby Perez. It's her job to swab noses and throats for the COVID tests here. She says many immigrant families in this majority Latino city live in multi-generational households with grandparents or children who are too young to be vaccinated. Once somebody says positive, it's like, there's no way of getting away from it unless you go to another home. Um, you got to use the same bathroom, same bedroom, same kitchen. There's no really a way around it. She speaks from experience. I do live with my parents. Yeah. And I have been hit by COVID. Um, I thank God that I did survive it. Um, my dad was really sick. That was last summer, and he's okay now. But the experience inspired her to switch careers from childcare to medical assistant as a step toward becoming a nurse to further serve her community. For the California Report, I'm Raquel Maria Dillon in Richmond.
0: And some other news related to the pandemic. Amid the unprecedented wave of COVID infections, nearly 1,000 police officers, firefighters, and paramedics in the city of Los Angeles aren't on the job. But Mayor Eric Garcetti says both the police and fire departments have enough staffing to keep the city safe. KCRW's Daryl Satzman reports.
4: There are 505 LAPD officers and 299 members of the fire department at home quarantining with COVID, both pandemic highs, according to Mayor Eric Garcetti. These are
1: big numbers, numbers that are reflecting the staffing challenges that all of us face, whether it's in the private sector, the public sector, and across all of our city departments.
4: He says the city has authorized overtime funds to pay employees who cover the shifts of personnel sick with COVID-19, And while they acknowledge response times have been affected in some cases, both Police Chief Michael Moore and Fire Chief Ralph Taurasas say their departments have enough personnel to maintain safety. Taurasas listed the steps his department is taking to keep firefighters on the job, including requiring them to wear N95 masks. Canceling all approved leaves until further notice. With L.A. County public health approval, we will adopt a 7-day isolation protocol rather than the 10-day protocol that currently exists. Meanwhile, Garcetti said that 5 out of 6 police and fire employees are now fully vaccinated, a slightly higher percentage than city workers overall. For the California Report, I'm Daryl Satsman in
0: Los Angeles. California Attorney General Rob Bontis says prosecutors should not charge women with murder when their behavior, such as drug use, contributes to the death of a fetus. The announcement comes after prosecutors in Kings County in the Central Valley charged women with so-called fetal murder, alleging their abuse of methamphetamines led to stillbirths. The Attorney General says under his interpretation of the law, a pregnant woman can't be prosecuted for the death of a fetus given the final outcome of for pregnancy. He says fears of criminal prosecutions might deter pregnant women with addiction problems from getting the help they need from health care services. A coalition of California abortion providers had asked Bonta to give direction on the issue. Pacific Gas and Electric will likely be the first utility to use California's wildfire liability fund. That after the company's equipment started the massive Dixie fire. Cap Radio Scott Rod
5: reports. In 2019, California had a utility crisis. The state's biggest electricity providers were causing increasingly deadly and costly wildfires. PG&E had already declared bankruptcy as a result. It was one of Governor Gavin Newsom's first big tests in office. This is a serious moment. And as I said, I'll remind you, it's not just about turning on your lights, it's not just about paying your electric bills. It's literally about the economy of the state. The governor and lawmakers had only a few months to figure it out. So they put together a $21 billion fund that would help cover the cost of wildfires caused by utilities. The companies pay for half of it. Customer rate increases make up the rest. Michael Wara is a senior research scholar at Stanford University. He expects PG&E will be the first to tap into the pot of money.
0: It's a good dry run frankly, for the fund, because there's a whole bunch of processes that need to be established and tested so that the fund is really ready.
5: Utilities have to cover up to a billion dollars in damages before accessing the fund. PG&E expects claims from the Dixie Fire, the second largest blaze in state history, to only slightly exceed that $1 billion threshold. For the California Report, I'm Scott Rod in Sacramento.
0: Immigrant advocates say California prisons have transferred thousands of incarcerated immigrants who've served their time to immigration authorities for detention and possible deportation. It happened again Wednesday with a journalist set to be released from San Quentin. KQED's Farida Javala Romero reports.
3: Punyu Yu served 25 years for a murder conviction and was granted parole. While in prison, the Cambodian refugee worked for the award winning San Quentin News. He also graduated from college and became a certified counselor, says Anouk Prasad, an attorney with the Asian Law Caucus who works with you.
6: Has just, you know, done so much work to turn his life around.
3: Still, you became one of the more than 2,600 people California prisons have transferred to U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement since January 2020, says Prasad.
6: And nothing. Requires a prison system to do this it is just voluntarily chosen to spend resources to turn Californians over to ICE.
3: An officer with the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation says they respond to detainer requests from all law enforcement agencies, and an ICE spokesperson says use conviction would make him a priority for arrest. Advocates are working to pass legislation they say will prevent more immigrants from being further punished by being released to ICE after serving prison time. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala romero
6: Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together, on the web at SchmidtFutures.com. And
0: now to a preview of our sister show, the California Reports Weekly Magazine. This week, host Sasha Koka takes us back to the 1970s to a black cultural center in Berkeley called the Rainbow Sign. It only existed for a few short years, but hosted dozens of high profile artists and thought leaders.
6: This is a small intimate club. You could walk up and ask a question of Maya Angelou or James Baldwin. Sataj Taj Mahal there. Intasaki Shanghai.
2: Alice Walker, who went on to win the Pulitzer Prize for the color purple, did a reading at Rainbow Sign. Nina Simone performed at Rainbow Sign when I was seven years old. Young,
1: gifted and black. You might recognize one of those voices as Vice President Kamala Harris. She was inspired by Nina Simone's song Young, Gifted and Black. And she wrote about growing up in Berkeley and going to the rainbow sign as a kid in her 2019 autobiography, The Truths We Hold.
6: Rainbow sign needs to not just disappear into the mists of time.
1: That's Odette Poller, whose mother Marianne Poller founded the Rainbow Sign and forged a path as a Black woman concert promoter, signing on artists like Bob Dylan and Pete Seeger.
6: This is a Black woman in the 40s and 50s and 60s doing things nobody else had ever done.
1: When Marianne Poller founded the Rainbow Sign in 1971, she saw it as a black cultural center, but also part of a movement toward the liberation of all people through art, education, and political organizing.
6: It was the right place at the right time for this to grow out of.
1: That's Desi Woods-Jones, who helped found an organization called Black Women Organized for Political Action. She remembers they didn't have big expectations when they called their first meeting at the rainbow sign.
6: We opened the doors and, you know, looked around, and I think there must have been pretty close to a couple of hundred women that showed up. And we were, of course, just astounded.
1: Huey Newton, Winnie Mandela, Shirley Chisholm, James Baldwin, they all came to the rainbow sign. But its unique history has largely been forgotten. Now UC Berkeley students have created a digital archive to help preserve it.
0: And you can listen to more of that story on public radio stations or by getting the California Report magazine podcast. And that's the Daily California Report for Friday, January 7th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin and Danny Bringer. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin, Keith Mizuguchi, and Holly J. McDeed. Our editors, Angela Corral. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a good weekend.
6: Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together, on the web at schmidtfutures.com. Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. stanfordhealthcare.org slash adaptingcare. And the Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth.